You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our mothers here, uh, especially to my wife. I want to honor her this morning and let her know how much she's appreciated. And the Lord sees all of your hard work, even though it seems at times that we don't. Um, we are very grateful for you, and your family loves you very much, and you're a blessing, and I love you very much. Turn your Bibles, if you would, today. We're kind of going down a different path. Um, I thought about preparing a Mother's Day sermon. I went down that route first. For some reason, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. So the Lord kind of veered me in another, another route. And uh, it's in Joshua chapter 4. So if you would turn your Bibles, please, hoping today that this message would be an honoring message, honoring to the Lord and with that, be honoring to everybody else here today. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 10. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men who he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priest who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you for your, for your kindness towards us, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing, Lord, not, in, not only in our own lives and our families, but you're doing around the world. Lord, when many may cry out that God is dead, we know that you are certainly alive. So, Lord, we appeal to you this morning, this small congregation, in some small part of town in Watauga, Lord, that you would hear the prayers of your people and that you would answer us, Lord. For God, we repent of our great sins against you. We would ask you, Lord, that you would hear us 
Hear the prayers of your people. See the repentance, Lord, that we have towards the sins that we've committed and the sins we've tolerated and the sins we've accommodated. Lord, be glorified today to move once again in the body of Christ in this country. The Bible says that judgment starts first in the house of God. So, Lord, we cry out that you would move once again in the lives of your people. Be lifted up today over this congregation, over those that are hearing the word of God. And, Lord, most importantly, I'd ask you to grant me the strength to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 4. Here we see courageous Joshua calling on the men of Israel to stand firm as they crossed the Jordan before the ark. Each man shouldered a stone while the priest shouldered the ark. The priests who bore the ark were instructed by the Lord not to move until everything was finished. Each man himself pulled from the bottom of the river a rock which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The stone was then placed upon the shoulder and carried to the other side where a pile was formed and this pile of rocks became a memorial, symbolizing, if you will, the wondrous work of God. As God drove back the waters of the Jordan in similitude to the time he separated and divided the Red Sea, this would be to the people of God a refreshing reminder that the Lord is still the deliverer of his people. This event would declare God's glory, his power, his providence. This action would become, a, would become permanently and openly displayed for generations to see. In verse 6, the Bible says that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the time coming, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. This is in essence what the Christian life is. It's declaring the glory of God. It's declaring among the heathen the glory of God's perfections that they may acknowledge him as the one and true God. It declares the glory of his salvation that they may accept him as their only redeemer. It declares the glory of his providence that they may confide in him as their faithful guardian. It declares the glory of his word that they may prize it as their chief treasure. It declares the glory of his service that they may choose it as their chief occupation. It declares the glory of his residence that they may seek it as their best home. In verse 20, those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan did Joshua pitch in a place which the Bible calls Gilgal. It's interesting to note because we hear about Gilgal further on down the line in the life of Ehud. If we all know who Ehud was, he was a left-handed assassin that set his country free, I believe it was for 80 years of revival. It said, Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. 
He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who carried it. But on the reaching, the stone images near Gilgal himself, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. Interestingly enough, as we see further on down in the word of God, that these stones meant something. These stones spoke to Ehud. So much so as he was walking away, he was reminded of the great works of God. What do these stones mean? What they meant to Ehud is that he served a great deliverer. And he went back and delivered his country. The name Gilgal comes from the Hebrew verb galal, meaning to roll. After Joshua had circumcised Israel, God said that he had rolled away the reproach of Egypt, and the place where she had done this was called Gilgal ever since. It's interesting to note as well that when Ehud slayed Eglon, the king, Eglon's name actually means a hoop or a ring or a circle. It means circumcision. It means cut off. It means that God had cut off all evil. God had circumcised, if you will, a circle to remove all evil. This is what Gilgal meant. And this is what it means to us today. You say, how you must ask? Well, as Joshua circumcised Israel, so Christ Yeshua circumcised his church. Look about, look at Ezekiel 36, 28. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, cutting away, circumcising, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In Jeremiah 24, 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. The Bible says that the way we become a godly spectacle to the world is by a holy life. For which the Bible says that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. In Ephesians 2.10 the Bible says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The title of this morning's message, if you were to title it, I would title it Sacred Stones. Sacred Stones. Showing from God's word that the sacred stone in scripture is an illustration, ultimately, not only of Christ alone, but of the true believer in Jesus Christ. Paul acknowledges this when he says in 2 Corinthians 3.2, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. This morning, I believe the Lord is pleading with the children of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to rebuild the walls and the altars of a sacred life. The sacred life of Christ upon the throne room of our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our nation, and the world all across the board. Today, more than ever, we need a gathering of sacred stones, glaring and glowing saints, burning bright with testimonies of Jesus Christ. Rising as one man, set on fire by the power of the Holy Ghost, leaving a testimony, a declaration, a signal for all to see and know God has moved once again in the lives of his people. 
his children and his church once again. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was a burning and shining light. And Jesus said that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ, Jesus himself, in whom the whole building being fitted together is increasing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. The story in the book of Joshua is actually a declaration of the gospel in Old Testament pictures. We must see this not only as the dividing of the waters of the Jordan, or even in conjunction with the miraculous dividing of the Red Sea, but God separating the light from darkness. Taking a dead heart of stone and making it alive. Jesus said, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would even cry out. Jesus was take, talking about a future redemptive work that will take place in the lives of God's people, a work that will permanently transform his children. And this all took place on the cross, the resurrection, and then seen and experienced at Pentecost. You see, brothers and sisters, we become his living epistles. God took uncut imperfect stones at the bottom of the river of life, the trash, the pollution, the slime, and the unclean, the horrible pit, and placed our feet upon the rock of Christ, fashioning us, transforming us for all to see, his work, his vessel, his power. We become a memorial to the work of Almighty God, shouting out to an apostate dark world that there is most certainly a living God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me just say one thing this morning, if anything sticks at all through this sermon. The greatest testimony that you have to an apostate world and the power of God is a changed life, a transformed life. This is the testimony of Scripture to one who has become born from above. One that has been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one whose heart has been circumcised, taken out where God gives you a new heart. Not where Jesus wants to come and live in your old heart. But God gives you a new heart. And he puts his spirit within you and by his great power causes you to walk in his ways and to love the things that he loves. No longer being a slave to sin and unrighteousness, but becoming a slave to Christ. I like what Philip Doddridge says. He said, we need the spirit of courage once again. Opposing with a vigorous resolution the strongest efforts of the powers of darkness. The inward corruption of your own heart 
and all the outward difficulties you may meet with in the way of your duty, while in the cause and in the strength of Christ, you go on conquering and to conquer. Y'all awake out there today? And Joshua 4, 6 says that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, what is meant by these stones? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. A memorial really is to share a display of the power of God, telling the generations to come, not just about a miracle, but a miracle that God provided for his people. These stones are more than just rocks. They represented the actions of Almighty God delivering his people. This is a rock. This is our rock and our foundation. And they remembered that God was their rock, as the Bible says, and the Most High God, their Redeemer. And this is the message this morning that I hope you all are able to digest this reality. That this idea of God transforming us in the illustration of lively stones to glorify his name. But we know we can only glorify God by resting on the true rock, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 3 it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. First, I'd like to point out to you this morning what is not a sacred stone. I would like to start there. What is not a sacred stone? Well, first of all, a sacred stone should not be confused with the idols in the church today. Sacred stones should not be confused with the idols that are propagated in the church today. We know that the buildings are wonderful. There are places that we meet, but a building should never be a place where we worship rock and mortar. In Isaiah 10, 13, it says, By the strength of my hand have I done this. Let us build a tower that reaches unto heaven. And Jesus said in Mark 13, 1, so that Jesus came out of the temple and one of the disciples said to him, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here, adorned and beautiful, almost mesmerized by this reality of the beauty of the temple, beauty of rock and mortar, the beauty and reality of this building that seemed to signify and symbolize power. And Jesus just delivers a crushing blow to his awestricken commanding when he says, see these buildings? He's probably thinking, yeah, tell me more about them. There shall not be one stone left upon another shall not be thrown down. Christ is saying, you need to worship me, not the pomp and greed of the day, nor in our day. The competitiveness that we see today in the majority of the churches that exist, who can get the most members? What place can be the most exciting? How can we fascinate people? How can we appeal to the selfish nature of humanity and try to fill our churches up with a bunch of junk that's an abomination to God, blasphemous in its very origins? Monuments to self. Some of us get so fixated upon doctrine and theology 
but yet we have no love. We have whole libraries in our heads, but no fire in our hearts. That can be equally idolatrous. You can have the best theology in the world and go to hell. Now we got the amusements and the entertainment, trying to attract the world with the world. Can't get anybody in our church. You start getting frustrated, so you start putting things up there and around there that try to somehow, somehow hypnotize the world, fascinate them, bring them in, and then guess what? You've got to keep them in by continually doing that stuff. We must always point people to the living God. We must always point people to Christ, not a tradition, not a program, or a practice, but to the person of Christ. Remember, the purpose of the church is to make disciples, not rock stars. Look at the Hillsong tragedy. Look at the utter mess that takes place when you see personality-driven churches. Churches that are built around rock stars. And they get so emotionally entangled and so emotionally intoxicated with the music because it sounds so good. Remember Satan himself, the chief cherubim, knew how to make very pleasing music to the ears. And they crashed. You see, the Bible says that these stones that were piled up under Joshua's leadership were a memorial to the children of Israel forever. A pile of rocks. How exciting can that be? We don't have the smoke machines. We don't have the rock stars. All we have is a pile of rocks. But see, it's not the pile of rocks. It's what, they, it's what the pile of rocks illustrate and symbolize and point to. It's who we worship. Which brings us to our second point. These sacred stones should not be confused with the altars of the world. What do you mean? Monuments and memorials and altars are erected all over the face of our nation today. But they are not built by God's people, but by the wicked. You cannot drive five minutes up the road or stand in a line at a grocery store or watch a movie without being bombarded and defiled by every imaginable evil that the heart of unregenerated man can invent. Try it. Well, honestly, don't try it. Get on Netflix. Get on some of these shows. Scroll through YouTube. You all know what I'm talking about. It's very difficult, right, to navigate without something there to pollute your mind, vaunting and parading their filth, displaying their absolute hatred and contempt for the Lord and His commandments, the homosexual agenda with their feverish fixation on destroying and desecrating the sanctity of marriage, confusing gender, gender, redefining the family, raising the banner to humanism, atheism, and every other deplorable act of rebellion towards God, the celebration of death, the violence against children, and the massive murder of millions of babies, and all this is done upon the altar of it's my body, my choice. If a woman ever says it to you, tell her this. The body inside your body is not your body. The body inside your body is not your body. It's not your choice. It's God's choice. And God says you should not murder. Amen. Now we have parents that will not identify their babies by their true gender. Unwilling to call them a boy or a girl. And allowing them to choose at the age of four 
what they want to be. They're called Fabies. <laughs> the world. You know, I think they invent this stuff up just to see how much we'll take and how much we'll tolerate and how much we'll go along with it. You can almost say anything anymore, right? Everyone just goes right along with it like it's nothing. Are you serious? I think it almost seems like it's, a, it's one of those hidden pranks just to see, let's just see if they go along with it. Let's see if the church buys into this as well. And most of the time, unfortunately, at least in America, they do. Fabies. Give me a break. Things are out of control. I just learned that there is a man named James Charles, a young man who is a homosexual makeup artist who apparently is the first male cover girl, cover boy, with 24.1 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. His yearly salary as of 2022 is $22 million a year. His YouTube videos earn him about $80,000 per video, which is what makes the most of his earnings. What are people watching? What are our kids watching? When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Do you have an answer? When they ask you, what is the meaning of Christ? What's the meaning of your life? Is there any sacredness left? We know what they're watching. I don't want to say we know what you're watching. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. You see, there's a period is where you go so long with the counterfeits and the gross imitations to the point where your Christianity is foul. There's no attraction to it other than the world and it dies out. And the truth is no longer preached. Christ is no longer exalted. Holiness of life is no longer there. There is no influence from the church. There is no authority in the life of a believer any longer. And you have an entire nation that becomes lost and knows nothing about God, heard nothing about the great works that he has done for Israel. As a result of many silent years of the church in our country, we have young people that have never heard of the name of Christ. Or at least the name of Christ that they have heard is preached to some homosexual and some perverted channel on YouTube. This tries to change the name of Christ. We need to be the ones that stand up and define what God says about who Christ is from the scriptures. What shall we tell our children when they ask, what is meant by these stones? The third point, a sacred stone is a memorial to God, and that's you. And that's you. In Joshua chapter 4, it said each father, according to the scripture, was to take a stone from the bottom of the river and place it upon his shoulder. And it wasn't some little pebble either, by the way. These stones were a very good sized stone. And they had to pick these babies up, put them upon their shoulder. Yeah, a little labor, a little manliness there to carry that stone, one stone that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Each man was called to carry it across the river and their add to the pile. And the pile's stones now had a meaning. 
These stones would later cry out and testify what occurred in the lives of God's people, especially the fathers. See, the greatest gift you can give to a mom or to a wife is a godly husband and a godly father. That's why when this sermon came the way that it did, I knew that the greatest blessing wasn't just trying to conjure up some sermon about moms, but delivering a sermon that with the, the, the men of this church and the men of Christ would begin to lead how they're supposed to lead. It's a godly legacy passed down, an inheritance, a reminder to our children and the generations coming behind us. In 1 Peter, it says the people of God must be a humble people, fashioned and patterned and conformed to the image of Christ, a living epistle. He says you also, as living stones or lively stones, are being what? Built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Set up for the whole world to see that God is alive and working through His church today. A temple which the Bible says is made without hands. In Psalms chapter 60 verse 4, the psalmist says, Thou hast given us a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be what? Displayed because of the truth, not lies. It's all about publicly representing Christ to a lost world. The stones were all about representing God and His miraculous power and His deliverance for His people. The stones were left there not for them, but for for the generations to come. When they would see the pile of stones, they would ask their fathers, what do these mean? And the fathers would be required to tell them exactly what they mean. That they would be encouraged and carry on the tradition to trust in this all-powerful, almighty God. That they would turn away from idols and they would turn to the living God. There was a point to it. It's the same today. It's the same today. Romans 12, 2 says, And fashion not yourselves like unto the world. This idea of fashioning gives you the idea of something being molded and something being shaped and something being built. But be ye changed by the renewing of your mind that you may produce what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Do you guys realize how fast life goes? Have you guys come to that point yet where you kind of pop out of your youngness and you realize that life is short? I'm 51 years old and my perspective on life has changed quite a bit from when I was 20. And I know life is short. 100 years from now, there's probably nobody left alive in this room. We'll all be in eternity in one place or another. And when you are dead and buried, what will your life speak to those who knew you? What would they say about you after you're gone? What would they say? Dad was just like the world. Behaved just like the world. Dad was mean. He could minister well, but he was a monster in the house. So-and-so could preach good, 
but he was a devil. Or my dad loved Christ. He followed after Christ. He was a godly man, not a perfect man, but a faithful man. He left a legacy to us, not money, but he left a life. Shining example of an uncut stone, glorified by the living God. What is meant by these stones? In Hebrews 11.4 says, He being dead, as the Bible says, yet speaketh. Your life will go on to speak long after you're gone, trust me. Most of us will be, most of us will be forgotten about in the ground. I, I went to Scotland. I used to live in Scotland for a couple of years, but I did a preaching, preaching tour in Scotland, and we were doing some filming with a, with a brother of mine, and we went to this old cemetery. And the, 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 um, the stones, the tombstones were like so old, so old. Some were just immaculate, but it, it, it aged so much. And as I was walking up this hill, I noticed a little tiny stone in the ground, kind of buried over, grass growing over it and all that. And I, and I, I moved away the dirt, and it was someone's name. It was someone's name. It was a stone with someone's name on it that represented their life. Buried in the world of stones and, you know, how many people, I mean, that stone probably hadn't been looked at in years. But it's a life, right? It's a life lived. It's a life lived. That stone, those stones in a cemetery represent a life lived. Those are sacred stones. First Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself, knowing full well that Jesus is ultimately our chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 20 says, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. By the exaltation of Christ and the overpowering grace of God, we can see this nation and the nations beyond changed and transformed and redeemed for the glory of God. Instead of idols and altars of death, we will have a signal that will forever shine and declare the glory of God forever. And when the children ask, and they will ask, and they will ask, what is meant by these stones? We will be able to answer them as the psalmist says in chapter 44, verse 1. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us. What deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. What is the application to all this? Well, it's threefold and it's very quick. Sacred stones is seen in the life of God's people in three ways, and this is a finisher. That we must stand as the priests stood. As they stood and they waited with the Ark of the Covenant upon their shoulders, as the stones were piled up, we must stand firm. It says every place where their feet of the priest stood firm. The Bible says that even a, another rendition says, another translation says, in readiness. We must shoulder. We must shoulder. Joshua 4, 5 says, Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take upon a stone on his shoulder. Christianity is an easy religion. 
Yes, by grace we are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. I get all that. But the life of a Christian is hard. It's a shouldering faith. It's not an easy thing. It's not easy believism. It's shouldering stones. It's bearing one another's burdens. It's being willing to work. Five in, 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 in Scripture, the number five means grace, but also means labor. Number three, we must sing. First Chronicles 16 says, Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Show forth from the day to day His salvation. Psalm 41-3 says, And He hath put in my mouth a new song of praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Many of you here today could sing right along with David as he here was clearly rejoicing over the victory that the Lord had given him. His song was that of redemption and deliverance. David here realizing that this song was more than just another song to be sung, but a message to be proclaimed, a message to be heralded among the nations. Oswald Chambers says, A saint's life is in the hands of God, like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. So today, be ready to stand. Stand for Christ. Stand for Christ. People stand for all kinds of things in this world. But for us, we're to stand for Christ. Be ready to shoulder the stones. Don't be afraid of hard work. Don't be afraid of getting in the battle. Don't be afraid of getting a little bit bloody, beat up, and bruised. Number three, remember to sing the song of salvation. Let's pray.